Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Supreme Court religious freedom and more. Dr. Douglas Frank joins me to talk elections. Cannot wait for that. Conflating Trump derangement syndrome with election truth, Noonan and Coulter, and should Trump run in 24? And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to start very briefly this morning. We have a, Today we have a great, great guest joining us in just a few minutes. I want to just commend the United States Supreme Court for making a great decision. And the decision involved a law in the state of Maine that basically made a benefit, a financial benefit available to parents to send their kids to schools other than if there wasn't a sufficient local public school, they could send them other places, except they could not use these credits the state was giving out if you want to send your child to a religious school, to anyone, a school related to religious freedom. The, uh, a lot of the coverage on this case today is calling this a victory for school choice. And while it is that, it's actually much more, and I'm going to quickly tell you why, and then get to our great guest. So in the United States Constitution, everyone knows, I guess, the First Amendment, which is the First Amendment for you know, many great reasons, includes the promise um, of freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and all the, and, and right to address grievances, but also deals with religion. And the is the primary uh, and the beginning promise of the First Amendment, basically says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, that's the establishment clause, or prohibiting the free exercise. So there's tension historically between the establishment clause that basically says Congress can't designate a religion for America, can't say, you know, from here on out we are all going to be Methodist or whatever it is. Um, so they can't establish religion and they also cannot prohibit the free exercise thereof. What has happened in, United, in a Supreme Court jurisprudence over the last decades has been a tremendous veering left, consistent with the godless anti-American left that is so opposed to sincere religious faith. The tendency of the Supreme Court has been to find any even skimming of the surface of friendliness between any governmental institution, law, a state, a school district, any f signal of friendliness toward religion as an establishment clause problem. And so many cases got decided on this very skewed perception of the First Amendment, basically finding an establishment clause problem you know, under every rock. And the consequence of that was the Supreme Court was therefore denigrating or diminishing the importance of the free exercise clause, which I would argue is actually the most important portion of those two, or they're both really important, but the idea that in America, they came, people, our forebears, came here for religious freedom. The free exercise clause means you get to do that. So in this case, the reason I like this case so much, while it is being touted, as I say, as a case in uh, supporting school choice, um, it also addresses with the point I just made. And this has been a significant point for litigants in front of the Supreme Court. Um, people who are students of the First Amendment, advocates for freedom of religion, have been pointing out the courts veering toward finding establishment clause problems too easily and therefore uh, giving light due or insufficient due to the importance of free exercise. So in this case, the court ruled that Maine cannot, the state of Maine, cannot withhold this financial benefit to parents just because those parents choose a school that is a religious school. So it's a victory for recognition of the free exercise clause as having significant importance. And the one sentence I'll read, and I'm going to close out the first five because I started late today and it was no, no one's fault but mine. But the one sentence I want to read from the this uh, decision was, a state's anti-establishment interest does not justify enactments that exclude some members of the community from an otherwise generally available public benefit because of their religious exercise. And they're saying that states and other governmental entities like schools cannot out of 
great concern for, you know, stepping on the Establishment Clause and getting accused of violating the Establishment Clause cannot, in order to avoid being accused of violating the Establishment Clause part of First Amendment, step on religious freedom of, of citizens. It's a great signal from the court, their understanding that the shift must go back. We can't, they can't just find everything or virtually everything to be an Establishment Clause problem because at the end of the day, they're not really respecting the primary purpose of America and of the First Amendment, which is to respect the freedom of religion, uh, respect the free exercise of religion by our citizens. Other great important cases coming up, the Supreme Court will likely be reviewing in the next uh, few weeks and issuing decisions on, uh, not the least, the, the uh, apparent uh, decision they may may have reached to overturn Roe versus Wade. But this decision is a great signal from the Supreme Court, and that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned we have a guest joining us. Uh, Dr. Douglas Frank has joined us in the um, on the show before, and he is just a tremendous American. I'm going to do a little tribute a little later in the show, or maybe tomorrow, to the idea that too many people in this country who've had the bravery to stand up and speak up regarding election fraud, regarding COVID policy, regarding these kind of these these uh, issues that the American left is pushing on the American people. Too many people who've been brave, as Dr. Frank has, and others we've had on the show, Sidney Powell talks about election fraud also, uh, Seth Keschel talks about election fraud on the subject of COVID, uh, we've had Dr. Simone Gold, numerous other doctors. Too many people who are brave like these people are, are ridiculed, mocked, and maligned for simply speaking truth. And to their great credit, and to, as a testament to their character, they simply stick with what they know is true. They pursue truth, often to the great, to their great, um, to the opposite of their benefit, their loss of jobs, of uh, putting up with a lot of uh, media attacks on themselves. But Dr. Douglas Frank is one of those great American heroes in this era in American history because he's willing to continue to talk about election fraud, to develop the proof of it, and then to share it with people like us. And welcome to the show, Dr. Douglas Frank. Thank you, Debbie. It's great to see you. That was very, very kind of you to, to say. I I feel like uh, I'm spending my days now just spreading truth. I'm being a truth teller. Yeah, that truth teller thing. I actually have a bunch of clips uh, from the media. I was going to do these first. I had clips about Sidney Powell, you, Simone Gold, and you know, I shouldn't even give them oxygen. But the, <laughs> but the tenacity of the anti-American left, I would often for the Marxist media mob, um, to just continue to pummel, ridicule, mock, jab at anyone who just won't salute to what the left has decided must be the truth you must listen to. It, it simply, it seems like endless energy they have for this and, and, and a relentlessness to, to uh, mock. And so I just, I truly do commend your tenacity, your bravery, and your intellect. So uh, Dr. Douglas Frank um, is a, uh, I, should, I don't even know the kind of labels I should add to what he is, but he is a PhD, he's an um, inventor, he's a widely published over 60 publications in serious scientific journals, um, but he's also a mathematical, um, I don't know if He's an extremely wise mathematical person. He teaches at a high school. He has taught at a high school. He helped to found that's there that was founded for uh, students who are truly extraordinarily gifted. Teaches high level math. This is a really brilliant mathematical mind, and he's been studying election data. So I asked him before the show today because he does so much, and I do want to get into all the slides you sent, Dr. Frank. But I want to start with when we talked on the phone the other day briefly. You were mentioning having had recent conversations with various officials in some states trying to expose to them the evidence of election fraud that may have occurred in their states. And I just, because I think that people keep reading from the media, oh, there's no election fraud, that didn't happen. Would you quickly run through your activity since the time following election 2020? Where have you been working, what states and, and, and your connections you've made to try to convince elected officials that there's a serious problem? Thank you for that. I started in Pennsylvania uh, at their request, and it was a nice situation because um, they gave me access to all of their historical data. Unlike today, where most of the secretaries of states around the country have clamped down and are trying to not release information. So it was nice working with the state of Pennsylvania legislature 
back in late 2020 in December is when I began my work at their invitation. And we exposed a great deal of fraud there in Pennsylvania, and so much so, in fact, that the state legislature uh, threw out their entire state voter rolls and hired a firm to re rebuild it. We, we proved the fraud. It wasn't just me. I was part of a small team at that point. And then, of course, I uh, began working in other states. I've now been in over 40 states in person, working with grassroots teams. Basically, what I do is I show them first how their elections are being stolen, and then once they know how their elections are being stolen, I say, okay, now this is what you need to do to fix it. And this is how you get out of this mess. So um, that's at the grassroots level. But because of my grassroots work, a lot of legislatures have had me in. I testify uh, before probably a dozen different legislatures already, formal testimony before their official election committees, that sort of thing, but also in private with a lot of legislators, teaching them what's wrong with their bills. A lot of legislators are trying to fix the problem and they say, well, gee, Dr. Frank, if I do this, won't that fix it? And I'll say, no, and here's why. So it's, it's you know, what do legislators do? They legislate. So they're trying to fix their country by legislation and I get it. But bottom line, the basic problem is, is that the machines and systems and electronic software that they're using just makes the whole thing hacked and hackable. And so that's that's basically what I've been spending every day of my life since um, um, December of 2020, been doing traveling the country. Uh, right now I'm in North Carolina. Tomorrow I'm going to be in Newark, New Jersey, and the next day in the state of Louisiana and, and, and Washington, the state of Washington and Texas. Actually, I'm going to be with you in Texas tomorrow, aren't I? tomorrow night. Great. Okay. I, yeah, you I, are. I, Actually, yeah, Thursday night you're speaking to uh yeah, Thursday night you're speaking to a group Thursday here in Texas. Night I'm with you. That's right. Yeah, and I get to moderate. So, I'm taking copious notes today while you speak because I want to be sure at this uh, presentation you're giving on Thursday evening that I ask the right questions and we get as much information out as fast as we can. So, um, I want to just, um, I, I love what you're doing and I know I've asked you this before, but sure. you're you're overarching um, discovery that I would rather have you articulate is basically that th through your analysis of voter registration rolls, voter patterns, you have discerned and determined that there, that in most states there is, if you can look at one county's data, you can essentially predict the election, the, the voter turnout outcome in every other county. And your point, therefore, is that appears that the election data as reported to the public uh, is based on an algorithm rather than an actual count of votes. Is that somewhere in the ballpark of accurate? Yeah, no, that's that's really a very close description. And it, it's, it makes sense if you think about the context of the way I think. I'm a scientist. What do I do? I look at data, I fit a model to a data, and then I make predictions. And if a model that I build allows me to predict how many 18-year-olds are going to vote in every county in your state, that that's suspicious. That shouldn't. I shouldn't be able to build a model that can predict to predict to extreme accuracy uh, what the turnout is for every age in a county. Um, there's too much randomness in human behavior. So that's like the first breakthrough. And once I had discovered that, then what do you do as a scientist? You say, well, gee, if if that's true, then how is that happening? And what experiments do I need to do to to investigate that? And so. We then began doing canvassing in, in, in counties, and we're able to find the phantom voters exactly where we expect to find them. And, and I can explain what that means. If, if you've saw, seen this movie recently, the uh, movie 2000 Mules, it's, a, it's an important movie for a couple of reasons, but I like it because for over a year, I've been telling people that the way they're stealing our elections is by stuffing ballots. But, and that's what you get to see with your own eyes in that movie. So I like that aspect of it. But what they leave out is that the important fact that what you're seeing there when each one of those ballots is being stuffed into a ballot box, there is being assigned to a name. Well, how do they know which name to assign a ballot to? That's the real steal. The real steal is taking place in the rolls, deciding ahead of time who you're going to vote for. Then the question is, is how do you get those ballots? You can steal it from their, their mailbox or you could collect it you know when they're delivered or you could print print ballots for those people mm -hmm. so what you see in 2000 mules is basically the consequence of the steel the cover-up of the steel not the actual steel so as a scientist that's basically what i've uncovered i uncovered how they choose which voters to vote for and and then therefore i can predict 
how many voters there are of every age. It's really kind of uh, stunning. There, there's another slide I'll show you later uh, when we can talk about it. I call it the smoking gun. Uh, states use different systems and different uh, different capacities. And in states where uh, some states have their roles completely centralized. In fact, their elections are completely centralized. For example, in the state of South Carolina, all the clerks do, all the local election officials, all they do really is just set the machines out and people vote and then they put the machines away because everything's centrally controlled. And then there are other states such as Kentucky where each county runs their own election in their own way. Uh, and what I've noticed is that, and I call it the smoking gun, is that in states that are centrally controlled, I can not only predict the number of 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, et cetera, that vote in every county, I can predict it in every precinct. And furthermore, I can tell you the number of Republicans that have voted in every precinct and the number of Democrats that have voted in every precinct. In other words, when it's centrally controlled, I can predict almost everything there is. But in states where they're not centrally controlled, I can't. And I can put those side by side and I can show you those two graphs and people uh, and that shows that our election shouldn't be dependent upon um, shouldn't be dependent upon what system they're using. It should be dependent upon how the people are voting. So that's that's another thing I like to show. I, I can show you those data. I actually gave you one of those slides for today, but I'm rambling on now. I love when you ramble on. Honestly, I am. You know, you sent me these fabulous slides, and I've, I've got a bunch of them in front of me. I will tell you your first point and uh, one of the slides that was I did talk about yesterday in the show that uh, the GOP convention in Texas, the actual yes. statewide convention, passed a resolution, and it, yes. it said basically Biden's not legitimately elected. And the great value of that my, is there are so many individuals around the country who've been following you, following other election experts, reading data themselves, following the stories and realizing Biden wasn't elected, and yet they're looking for somebody to voice that, someone with authority to voice that. So it's a baby step for the Texas GOP. That's a that's a statewide resolution passed by the, you know, the activists. So I, I agree with that. It's huge. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but I thought that is just it's hugely I consequential. Do. And the reason I put that in in those uh, talking points with you is because the there are so many things just like that that are happening all around the country that nobody gets to hear unless they're listening to program like yours. Because if they're they're waiting for it to appear on Fox or waiting for it to appear on NBC or something, and it's just not going to do it, they're stifling it. So, for example, you just mentioned, and I'm glad you covered it, that Texas has the, the Texas GOP has passed a resolution saying that the election was fraudulent. Did you know that also Speaker of the House Robin Voss from Wisconsin has stood before 10 television cameras and admitted to the whole world that there was widespread fraud in their 2020 election. And that was a direct result of some of my work with him there. I, I show a slide there in, in one of my slides. I could show you guys if you want. But I remember the the moment when he was um, convinced. He said, Dr. Frank, he says, Dr. Frank, I just, he says, I see all the data you're showing me, but I'm just not convinced that there's fraud in my state. And I, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, after all we've shown you in your Gableman report and everything, you still think there's no fraud. Why do you think that? And he said, well, because we've done recounts in multiple of our counties and the recounts always come out right. And so I looked at him and his, you know, I was just sitting two feet away from him. I just looked at him dead in the eye and I said, sir, it doesn't matter how many times you count the cash in the cash register. What matters is how many of the bills are counterfeit. And at that moment, his, you could just see his eyes go, oh. In other words, in our elections, it's not necessarily the machines that are changing ballots. It's many of the ballots are fraudulent. And for example, in Wisconsin, uh, Milwaukee County alone, we have evidence, we have emails of the county clerk herself admitting that they'd received 120,000 more ballots than they sent out, for example. So there's this massive amount of fraud. It's, it's not necessarily the machines flipping votes. It's the massive amount of stuffing that's taking place and the machines are just recording that and reporting that so you know where you stand in in the steel so that that's why i put that in there there's so much news like that all around the country you know if texas now admits the election was illegal 
uh, Wisconsin now admits it was fraudulent. Pennsylvania has also admitted that their election was illegal by their own state law. And that's a really simple one. Uh, they have a state law that says you shall not certify any election that has more ballots and voters. <laughs> well, they've never ever been able to legally certify their 2020 election. They've always had more voters than they have uh, more ballots than they have voters. When they certified it, for example, they were over 750,000 more ballots and voters. It's a preposterous situation. So that would be at least three states now that have publicly admitted that there was widespread fraud. Uh, maybe not the whole state of Texas now, maybe just the GOP there, but you're getting the idea. Across the country now, they're, they're coming around and people are finally admitting. Um, you know, it'd be a really good slide to show you, uh, Debbie, um, and uh, your producer could put that one up with the Oregon slide. Um, show that slide with the Oregon. This just happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't know, if, did, you, did you find it okay, Mr. Britton? Yeah, it's I, a slide that, um, yeah, yes, there you go. There you yep. go. There you go. Um, that slide is super important. What happened was a citizen in Oregon requested the voter rolls so that they could do canvassing. And the, the clerk denied them the rolls. So the citizen went to the local judge and said, hey, I'm entitled to have these. So the judge ordered them to be released to that citizen. It's in the state state of Oregon, but it's called Washington County, Oregon. Um, and when the Secretary of State found out that this citizen had received all these records, the Secretary of State freaked out in Oregon and had the Attorney General file a restraining order. And look what the restraining order admits. And that's why I'm showing you this. Quote, even when the systems are not directly connected to networks, they are vulnerable to attack through physical or wireless access. Continuing the quote, if the court enters a judgment requiring the release of the clear ballot database, that judgment would compromise the security of the election systems in 15 Oregon counties. Show the next slide too. Uh, this appears, look, this seems to contradict everything we've been told about the 2020 election and the computer systems. I think that's enough of that article. The point I'm making is that State by state, they are now admitting that their machines have, were hacked and are hackable. And that is something that I've been trying to tell everybody for over a year. And, and they always say, oh no, Dr. Frank, our machines are secure, our elections are secure, most secure election in history. I'm afraid not. We have plenty of evidence, literally mountains of evidence, showing that the elections were, were fraudulent. And now that um, now that that's happened, uh, Mr. Britton, show show the one where uh, CISA, the CISA report, it's a couple before, the CISA report much released. Um, yes, this one. CISA is the Center for Internet Security um, for Elections, releases much anticipated report on the Dominion voting machines, reveals software is exploitable, and attackers are able to insert malicious code to alter the results. So because of that, next slide, uh, the the governor the uh, secretary Ashcroft of Missouri is now admitting. Well, guess where I've spent several weeks over the last year in Missouri working with those people. I've spent hours with Mr. Ashcroft himself, and oh no, Dr. Frank, our elections are secure. Well, they're finally admitting, yes, they are vulnerable. But it's taken like a whole year of persistence, and like you said, Debbie, just standing up for the truth. We know what the facts are. We're telling them the facts one after another and we're sticking with the truth, but they're reluctant. You have to drag them kicking and screaming to the point where they'll admit it. Um, and But now that they are admitting it, now lots of good stuff's happening all around the, the country. Do you want me to continue or do you want to jump in here? <laughs> you know what? I, I hate to interrupt because it's, I mean, you had, uh, you've also called out, you have called several of the slides I was going to make mention of. And I do want to make, just to, uh, as my dad used to say, I'm repeating for emphasis, but Yes. The idea that CISA, who had originally been the source of the statements in our federal government that this was the most secure election in American history, and this was a statement that was viewed at the time to have been made by a Trump supporter because it was someone in the still then Trump administration, this was the most secure election in American history, now acknowledging that actually the electronic voting machines are hackable. I mean, it's a public statement, a public admission, a public yes. warning. And the yes. idea that we're still have with that uh, acknowledgement, 
still having a tremendous pushback against the argument that the hacking occurred. I mean, the part of what they're trying to say is, well, it, we, all we admitted was it could occur with the Dominion voting machines, uh, the, that the software is exploitable, uh, but we have no evidence that it happened. I, I'm just, I'm thrilled by that. And, I, and for those people who want to keep throwing back the, uh, well, Trump administration officials said most secure. If you're using machines you'd now admit are hackable, it was now a secure election. I want to try because there's so much information here, and I was trying to take notes while you're speaking. So um, you have in Pennsylvania, they have now acknowledged they have yes. something in the range of 750,000 more ballots they counted than eligible voters. Let, let me correct that. That's what it was when they certified it. And they were, and Secretary Bookfar of Pennsylvania, when she was trying, she presented the election for certification, the legislature said, wait a minute, it's illegal, you can't. And Secretary Bookfar said, don't worry about it. Once all the counties report and everything is reconciled, then it will reconcile. So in other words, when they reconcil uh, certified the election three weeks after the election, they had about 750,000 more ballots and voters. And then in the subsequent months, that number came down, but it never got below about 40,000 ballots and voters. So it was always illegal, never reconciled. They always had at least a minimum of 40,000 more ballots and voters. Just want to be technically correct there. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you did. And I meant to, when I was trying to describe the overall description of what you've uncovered, I meant yeah. to say, and you do it so well, but the voter rolls themselves are puffed up. They have non-existent fraudulent voters added to the rolls whose yes. votes then can be cast by any anyone who's, who's aware these are fraudulent names, these aren't real voters. Yes. So they're, they're, they are using the fraudulent voter names in the rolls, casting yes. votes through a variety of means, including the 2000 mules method, just mailing in ballots. And yeah. then I believe you've described how once that occurs and the vote happens, then the states will remove the, some of those voters again after the election is over. Is that accurate? Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's very obvious in some states. Just just for fun, let's show one of those. Can you show that slide? It's uh, later in the presentation, uh, Mr. Britton. It shows um, uh, Wisconsin three counties. It's right below the widespread fraud slide. Yeah, there you go. I was showing this to uh, Speaker Voss when I was trying to explain how his elections were being stolen. And what this graph shows is it shows from 2009 to present, their voter rolls in three of their largest counties. And what you notice going from left to right is that before the election, the voter rolls shoot up in number. More people are in the rolls. So for example, if you look, it's about a third of the way across, that's 2012 that the roles are inflated and then everybody, a whole bunch of people vote. And then after the election, you notice it takes a dive. And then um, there's a smaller surge for the midterms. But then look what happened in 2016, that where it says 25%. That's the roles were inflated again. And all those people voted. And then after the election, 25% of the voters are removed from the roles. 25, can you imagine one in four of the voters being removed from the roles after the election and then by 2020 you notice all the way to the extreme right they're all added back again and in other words i was showing speaker boss that before the elections they inflate the rolls with a bunch of people who aren't real voters they put in ballots for them and then after the election they take them out again and and then that way you don't know who they are think about that that's like a 10 to, that's a 25 percent credit line of you can stuff that many ballots and it was interesting because he said oh but dr frank that's just the top three counties. We, all of our counties are run separately. So Mr. Britton, show the very next slide there. And so I said, well, Mr. Voss, look at all of your counties. These were all 88 of your counties. And then, you know, that was like, oh my goodness, uh, the problem is in completely across all of the counties in your state. People tend to think that, that this is just the big blue counties where the fraud is taking place in our country. It's not, it's in every country, every county in our country. And we can prove that by doing canvassing. And that's one of the things I do. I go into each community and I teach, I teach the um, people there how to do the canvassing and how to find the phantom voters. Okay, I love this. And I wanna make one point about this. 
somebody who is a skeptic or, or just looking for a reason would say to to question would say, well, yeah. yeah, a lot of people, of course, voter registration goes up right before an election because, you know, people are hey, there's an important election coming up. I think I'll right. register. And so you, you would imagine there would be some bump up in registrations. But what yeah. makes no sense is after the election is over, would all those people, they may decide they don't want to vote again or they don't care, but to actively go and to pull your name back out of the voter yes. rolls it is absurd. Of course, no one's going to be doing that. Is that accurate? That, that's accurate. In, in fact, in some states, they aren't even removing them afterwards. So in other words, the rolls are just continuing to grow and grow and grow. We're now to the point, just as of last week or maybe two weeks ago, I guess it is, there are eight states in our country that have more voters in the rolls than they have people of, eight, of voting age. 18 years and older, they have more people in the rolls than people of voting age. And the rolls are continuing to grow and the rolls are growing faster than the population. How can this possibly be? Well, it's because they're not taking anybody out of the rolls in those states. They're just letting them continue to be inflated and they're, and they're filling them with people who are not real voters. How do we know they're not real voters? How can you have more people in your roles than you have people? There you go, being logical again. You know, that's just really <laughs> problematic when you do that. Um, I do want to talk. I was going to ask you a question, and I had meant to text it earlier, and you addressed it. But I want to just touch on because I think, you know, you assemble evidence. Again, they puff up voter rolls. They have yep. many places in which the uh, numbers are just either completely impossible or yes improbable that there could have been that many voters um, and you have proof statistical proof of the use of algorithms in yes. what is reported as a vote total based yes. on those vote totals being by age the same um, throughout every, a particular state in every single county and, and as you say and even and sometimes goes all the way to the precinct level so you really develop an overwhelming algorithmic mathematical proof of yes. fraud but some people have countered, and I, I want to hit with you with, um, sure. hit this with you with the idea that, um, so people saw the 2000 Mules movie, fabulous movie, grateful for it. And so they say, well, I thought the fraud was all because of mail in ballots, but now you're saying it's electronic fraud. And I know you said a moment ago that they're not inconsistent. And I want to be sure I'm understanding, and for our listeners to repeat it the 2000 Mules film was able to show the exorbitant number of fraudulent mail-in ballots. Everyone was aware of it at the time of the election, just uh, jurisdictions flinging out ballots that, um, you know, mail-in unsolicited. Uh, then you have the film, 2000 Mules, showing them all being stuffed into boxes. And you're saying that they, those two issues of the 2000 Mules mail-in ballot thing, and then what you're talking about, electronic fraud or algorithmically proven fraud, those are not inconsistent. It's actually the mail-in ballots are enabling the yeah. high tally of voters that you have discovered in your algorithm, correct? Yes, it's exactly right. And people people need to understand that what they're seeing in that movie, those ballots that are being stuffed are not necessarily ballots that were mailed out. In other words, if I have a printer, I can print the ballots and I can print the envelopes and I can stuff ballots that way too. They don't have to be mailed out ballots as I pointed out with the Wisconsin situation, where they had received 120,000 more ballots than they'd mailed out in a single county. So some of the ballot mules that they're showing in that are, are turning in, are stuffing ballots, not necessarily that were mailed out, they were printed somewhere. The, the key there is, is, let's say you wanna steal an election. Well, first of all, you need to know where you stand. If you're way ahead, you don't need to stuff a lot, so you don't. But if you're behind, then you need to stuff a lot. Well, how many do you need to stuff? Well, that's why you need to look at the rolls, and that's why you need access to the tallies, because you can tell who's voted, and you can tell what the tallies are if you have electronic access, which they do. So then, let's say you're behind, you know, you're behind 8 to 10. Well, you want to stuff four ballots, so you can be ahead 12 to 10. So then you print four ballots, and 
turn them in or you steal full four ballots like you harvest them or something you, you go to a rest home and collect four ballots and, and or something like this there's more than one way to get your hands on a ballot in other words so the, the thing is is that you can't just do that willy-nilly because you'll create all these situations where you're double voting for people and it creates provisional ballots or it creates situations where you have more ballots and voters so it has to follow an algorithm and that's why that's why the algorithms were so easy for me to identify because because it, it, it was made it made everything totally predictable because they were using it so extensively. That, that's that's important. So the electronic algorithms are not just it's not just that one algorithm I told you about predicting by age. It's also how many how many votes to put to uh, stuff is also controlled by that. Uh, uh, there's like multiple algorithms. I, that's just one of them. Now, one thing you said earlier, I really appreciated. You said you know. When, when I show people these evidence, they say, well, gee, Dr. Frank, there's no evidence that this actually took place. Well, as a matter of fact, there is. If you could show that slide, uh, Mr. Britton, with the with the Mesa 3 report in it. The, I'm Mesa sorry, the what report? The, it, it's a picture with uh, the bomb. Yes, there it is, exactly. Okay. okay. The Mesa 3 report. Now, this is super important because realize that I'm a scientist, right? Let's say I was studying gravity. I don't know what gravity is. I have to go out and make a bunch of measurements. I, I follow how fast things fall. And then once I know how fast things fall, then I can make up an equation and then I can predict how fast things fall. Well, that's what I was doing in the early days with the election. I didn't have the electronic evidence. I just noticed that I could predict everywhere I went what the outcomes were. However, now that we have the Mesa 3 report, it exactly confirms the operation of an algorithm. The Mesa 3 report shows the manipulation of the voters, not the tallies. What was happening is it would it was keeping a shadow database. So like imagine this, the first 50,000 voters, it just records the tally and records the voters. But when it hit 50,000, then in Mesa County, it created a new database, a copy, and it kept the current tally, but it didn't keep all the voters. It left behind 8,000 of the voters. Why would it do that? Well, because then later, as people are voting, as double votes appear, because you voted for some people and you shouldn't have, you can transfer that ballot to a different voter in the rolls, in the electronic. Also, it allows you to manipulate who voted. That's exactly what my algorithm showed, that who was voting was being manipulated. So the Mesa 3 report is, is hard electronic proof of the algorithms exactly that I was predicting were operating. So when people say there's no evidence, they're just wrong. There's lots of evidence. I'm glad you said that. And I mentioned to you on the phone a few days ago that um, I had Tina Peters on my show two weeks ago, I think, uh, two weeks ago this coming Thursday. And uh, she was a county clerk at that time uh, in yep. Mesa County. And I know you work with her, you and others work with her. And yep. she was the one who enabled, because it was the Dominion voting machines, they were coming to do their trusted build Talk about yes. uh, not even just uh, dishonest labeling, whatever the trusted bill. But yes. they were, yeah, but they she got she permitted access to get essentially a mirror image of the of the Dominion voting machine uh, prior to them coming in after. And the report that you're referring to, this Mesa three, was the yes. result of that comparison and sent into yes. experts who could then look at this data, cyber experts, and say and just and lay out exactly what you just said. So. The, the, yes. the effort of those who keep wanting to say there's no such thing as election fraud, it didn't happen, and sour grapes, and Trump sycophants, or whatever else we're saying, the, yeah. the evidence has become overwhelming. So, you know, I, I want to run through so much more. I really wish we had two hours, but um, you, so to summarize, in Wisconsin, the Speaker of the House has now said um, yep. that essentially that, that they had fraud in Pennsylvania. Fraud, yeah. His words, not mine. Widespread fraud. Okay, widespread fraud, Pennsylvania, they're acknowledging this. You've been yes. working with all these states, Kentucky, Oregon. Yep. So with the fraud you've uncovered and the states we've uncovered, that significant level of fraud, is it sufficient? Those states, if those electoral votes had gone the other way, it would have been sufficient to have the outcome of the election go the other way and Trump having won in 2020? Yes, more than sufficient. Trump won by an enormous margin. And what's fun for me is that that's what my mathematics predicted before I met Mike Lindell. 
And once I met Mike Lindell, he had all this electronic evidence. Remember, he calls it the big lie. And he did his own calculation. And what was so fun for me is that my calculations were done completely independently from a different perspective than his calculations. His calculations used the electronic recordings of the hacking taking place. And he calculated, his team calculated, and we exactly lined up Mr. Lindell when he met me. That's why he was so excited uh, to make a movie about me because he did this thing. He says, Our, Dr. Frank's mathematics and my electronic evidence fit like a glove. They exactly match each other. That is exactly what's happened. So as a scientist, that make, make, makes me happy. But as a citizen, it also convinced me overwhelmingly that our, our elections are fraudulent and because I, I, I can I can predict the fraud and where to find it. Yeah, it is astonishing. By the way, a very quick thing. When you talk about your use of your algorithm and predicting the outcome, you're, uh, uh, the number of voters of each age in each county yeah. and sometimes by precinct, you're not able yes. in what you're describing to say that uh, this many people voted for Trump versus voted for Biden is not that is not you knowing how they vote, correct? Right. It's just that that they did vote, correct? Right. I, okay. My algorithms describe who votes, and that that's what's really um, controlling the election. And like I said, that's what 22,000 mules is showing. They're stuffing ballots, and every one of those ballots has to be assigned to a voter. That's the key idea. If you understand that every one of those illegally stuffed ballots has to be assigned to a voter, then you ask the question, how do they know which voter to step for? Oh, they mustn't have access to the rolls. How did they get access to the rolls? Oh, gee, the poll books are online. The registration yeah. rolls are online. They're updated in real time. That's a pretty dumb system, isn't it? Because you're essentially telling the bad guys everybody who's voted and more importantly who's not voted so you know who to stuff ballots for it's staggering i noticed among the slides you sent i honestly wish we, i'm saying it again i wish we had two hours among the slides you sent uh it's the ones entitled injunctions being filed against use of electronic voting systems arizona alabama south dakota so my first very quick question is yeah. Given that CISA is saying, yes, of course, Dominion's voting machines are hackable. The federal government is now saying that. Yeah. Um, is there any basis upon which you can have fair elections going forward using electronic voting machines? Absolutely not. And that's why the injunctions are happening. In other words, once we had the Mesa 3 report showing that Dominion voting machines were manipulating the, vote, the voting the voters in the election, Plus, we have all, I, I, there's another slide I gave you too, you don't have to show it right now, where I showed that the poll books themselves were hackable, admitted in an email from ESNS, the company who runs them, by the way, in your state. Um, yep. So in other words, your poll books are hacked, your machines are hacked. It's all proven we have that evidence. Now, let's say you're running for an election. Do you want those machines used against you? If, you, if you're on the conservative side, you know that it's going to be used against you? No. So as a candidate, you will file, you can file an injunction to the state. You can say, look, here's the evidence that proves these machines are not giving us fair elections. I want them not used in my election. So in other words, a person has standing. So I gave you a couple of examples. You, you said Arizona, for example. In Arizona, Carrie Lake is running for governor and Mark Fincham is running for secretary of state. Together, they've filed a, an injunction in their state, a legal injunction to not allow the electronic systems to be used during their election. In Alabama, we have a similar lawsuit and there's about to be one filed in South Dakota as well. You'll be surprised who the plaintiff is in that state. I'm not allowed to say yet, but there are about 10 other states that are right on the verge of filing injunctions as well, where what we're saying is, we're not going to allow you to use, you know, if I'm a candidate, I don't want these machines used in my elections. So I go to court. I say, don't use these machines in my upcoming election. And here's the grounds. Here's the evidence. It's all public now. Um, I want the machines I use. So the injunctions all around the country are being filed. It's, it's a great, it's a great situation. There, there's, we don't even need injunctions in some cases. Um, after I uh, had my private meeting with Speaker Voss and he came out and publicly admitted that um, that there was widespread fraud in his state. I learned that in Wisconsin, they have a really interesting state law. It says any county that has 750, uh, sorry, 7,500 or less of population, they don't have to use the machines. 
So, auto, and there are about 30 counties already in Wisconsin that automatically can just say, we don't want to use these things. We already, we already have been shown that our elections are being stolen. So we're going to opt out of it. So they don't even need an injunction in their state. And then and there are other states as well. And this is why my work across the country has been so educational and important because now everybody's reading their state laws. And we've found out in Kansas that every county can make up its own mind. It doesn't have to do what the state tells them. In Nebraska, there are like 30 counties that are going to opt out of the state systems because they're being hacked. So why would you want to use a system that allows you to be hacked? It is the most amazing thing. I need to jump in very quickly for our radio listeners. I want to be sure you know you're listening to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. You can listen to the show online and watch live shows as well as past shows at the website americacanwetalk.org. This interview, which I'm afraid will continue after you go to your uh, end of the hour, my radio listeners, you're going off in about a minute uh, for your station identification and such, and we'll be done for today. I urge you to come back tomorrow and every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to listen to America Can We Talk and again. And, and thank you for Brady and Radio for carrying the show. I do want to urge those of you who are listening on radio to check out our website, americacanwetalk.org. All the information, interviews, everything we do in the show is very much available. All the links I talk about, the stories I talk about, all can be read there. And thank you for listening. When you go off, remember to come back tomorrow at 3 p.m. Okay, so Dr. Frank, um, I want to... Um, I want to make that point really clear that we just don't have a future with, uh, with, if we want fair elections, we cannot be using the electronic voting machines. The injunctions you're describing in these various states, these have to have been uh, brought by candidates who are saying, I don't want that in my election. I love that. Are you, you know, I will tell you that I've tried to make clear in this show numerous times, everybody got excited after the elections of 2020 in the red states because the red state legislatures kept saying, oh, we're going to get after election fraud. You know, we may not agree that was outcome changing, but a bunch of red states did changes in their laws that relate to election integrity. So far as I'm aware, none of them addressed what to me is the primary source of election fraud, which is electronic voting machines. But you've been closer to this in the states around the country. Are you aware of any state that has actually moved toward eliminating electronic voting machines? Yeah, there there are several states that are trying to limit parts of it, but not not directly the machines. There are um, in the state of Nebraska, they've authorized us a, a formal study. I'm going to be going back there. There's their elections committee is has a majority of really good conservative uh, people there. Um, they're going to rewrite their whole election code for their whole state. So I think Nebraska would be in the category, yes, they're addressing the machines. Um, you should have seen the senators there interrogating the Secretary of State. They just basically um, really, really tore into him and exposed how bad their own systems were. So in that case, it's, it's the truth. What I'm mostly seeing is states getting eliminating the drop boxes. Um, because they're saying, look, the drop boxes are obviously a way that ballots were being stuffed. Some states are requiring photo IDs, uh, you know, simple, those kinds of changes. The thing that's most frustrating to me is that, you know, there are 20 holes in this dam and every piece of legislation seems to just plug a few of the holes and there's so many ways to cheat. They're not really fixing the problem which is why legislatively it's important that we keep that pressure coming down from the top. But really the, the true um, um, reformation that's happening in our country is from the bottom up. County by county, the counties are saying, we don't want to participate in this anymore. And that's putting pressure upwards on the system too. So we're getting them in advice. We're getting the legislators to push down. We're not going to, you know, they're trying to pass better legislation and the county's pushing up in the bottom saying, we don't want to use these machines anymore. So it's happening, kind of squeezing from all directions. Couldn't agree more. And I do think for activists concerned about election fraud, Pressure on your state legislatures, your, your state representative, your yes. state senator is vital because they do hear all the time from a wide swath of people who are, you know, especially the Marxist media mob, making fun of people who even question election fraud, making yeah. mocking, ridiculing, deriding people who question election integrity. 
And legislators don't want to be subject to that. They don't want to go out on a limb and say, hey, I think we should eliminate electronic voting machines because they'll be attacked by the same mob attacking everyone else who's speaking up, attacking Sidney Powell, attacking Dr. Frank and Seth Keschel and others. So the only remedy for state legislators to get on, to get on board and actually take make real legislative change that eliminates the electronic voting machines is pressure from the citizens because short of that, they won't do it. They won't move to eliminate them because they don't want to suffer the uh, consequences. Um, and I do want to ask you too, uh, Dr. Frank, yep. you're just, I know you go around the country, you talk to all these different groups and you're, 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 you have got mom groups getting organized and doing the, um, doing the hard work and canvassing and all that. So the last question I'll ask you, I, I, as I, uh, you know, I love having you on. It's too short, and I apologize. I was late getting here today. No, that's a, I, I love being with you. Have any time? You have me back anytime. Okay, so like, how about tomorrow? No, just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> but I, I will see you. I will confirm I'll see you Thursday. Beside people getting involved in in uh, pressuring legislators to tighten up state laws to eliminate electronic voting machines so far as possible, and and are there, what other things can people do to support your work and help you uh, get the word out about how completely corrupt America's elections are? Um. If you've, if you've interviewed Tony Shoup, I don't know if you've interviewed her. She's a super mom from Pennsylvania. Amazing lady, audit the vote PA. Uh, she's one of three there that really got that movement. It's amazing to me, Debbie. Three ladies changed Pennsylvania. Two ladies changed Nebraska and a priest. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, one man and one lady in the state of Washington is changing. It's, it's amazing. Individual citizens have a huge impact if they're just willing to make a stand. Anyway, so Tony Shoup, she says, education is key, but the fix is local. And what what she's talking about is they, what got her involved in the first place was she and her, her friend uh, Karen Taylor were teaching constitution classes. And once she started teaching constitution classes, she realized herself, wait a minute, all this stuff that people are doing to us is unconstitutional. And she's, so becoming educated is super important. And I think, I think the best way to do that is not on Fox News. If you're listening to Fox News, you're not getting the real news. Not on CNN, not on all the mainstream media. You're gonna have to do some work. You're gonna have to, you know, go to the, uh, you have to listen to Debbie Giorgiatos, American We Talk, you have to, you have to tune into the alternative media sources to really learn what's going on. Uh, Lindell TV, of course, is a great place to go. Um, it seems like most of the election integrity stuff is happening on Telegram. So if you want to become involved, um, go to te go to Telegram and find a local group. That's there's probably one in every community now across the country. Get get connected to the people that are already in your community. Find out what work's already been done and join the effort. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, usually it begins with canvassing where we find phantom voters. And then once we find phantom voters, which are basically people who a ballot was voted for them, even though they didn't give it, then you go to your county clerk and you put pressure on your local county and you bring your constitutional sheriff into, you know, this is fraud, this is crime, this is illegal. You, you, you begin putting that local pressure and that is what's working all over the country. That's the most important thing. Individuals stepping up and being we the people, the way the constitution designed it for us to be. I mean, really, you were supposed to take a turn in office and then I'm supposed to take a turn, then the next person, then the next person. We're supposed to be the government. For too long now, we've been paying other people to teach our children. Too long, we've been paying other people to run our elections. For too long, we've been paying other people to run our government. We need to be the government. We need to teach our own children. We need to run our own elections. We need to do it with our own two hands. Dr. Douglas Frank, as you well know, you're singing my tune. Um, I thank you so very much for taking time and joining me today. I thank you for that message. It is, I often say, the we the people means we the so we are the sovereign. I mean, the people are the sovereign in America, not the king, not any other ruler. We are the sovereign, but it only works. The system only works if the people step up. Thank you so very much, Dr. Frank, for joining me today. Stellar, stellar my conversation. Pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about I um want to run uh, one quick story and play a couple of clips. Um, and these relate to what we were just talking about. You hear, you heard Dr. Douglas Frank. It, the, law, the more you read, the more you listen, the more you follow him on Telegram, the more you follow Seth Keschel, the more you listen to 
all of these people around the country stepping up, and you're now hearing from him, leaders in states, state legislators, state secretaries of state, they're all recognizing the entire election system is rigged. So I want to turn now and talk very much about what we should do about that. I will say quickly that when you, you if you read things online, I, I had a long litany, I can't do it today, but people who like Douglas Frank, Seth Cashel, others who are speaking up about election fraud are regularly maligned, belittled, mocked, just treated like they're just, you know, the lunatics. And they're the ones telling the truth. They're the ones putting their reputations on the line, putting their lives on the line, stepping out and speaking up. It is so much easier for people to just draw and say, okay, I don't want to be the one who's the next victim of the Marxist media mob in this country. I don't want to be the next one mocked, so I'm going to shut up. And we have some people in this country also who happen to be very, very anti-Trump. The term was Trump derangement syndrome. And I use the expression, and I have a little segment here on conflating Trump derangement system, um, syndrome, TDS, with election truth. And I'm not going to read either column, but there was a column by Peggy Noonan recently who formerly had uh, her wits about her, no longer does, and Coulter, same thing. I want to make the point that just because, even if you think that Donald Trump was a terrible president, you couldn't wait to get rid of him, the evidence of outcome-changing election fraud in this country is overwhelming. What happens when you are so deranged by your disdain for Donald Trump, and, and like Peggy Noonan being a good example, a, a formerly, you know, really, she was a great advisor, a great speechwriter to President Reagan, but she is so uh, just driven over the, the edge to insanity about disliking Trump that she can't look at facts in front of her. I want to encourage you, as you look at this information, recognizing how consequential it is, we are looking at an illegitimate um, administration in Washington, an illegitimate administration that did not win the election, and you have people, former informed voices on the right, just happily spewing garbage out in the form of, well, even though they are really clever writers and they're really good at being sarcastic and they're really good at being acerbic and they have wonderful vocabulary and they're spitting out garbage that basically saying, because you know, I can shorten their message, I hate Trump, therefore there wasn't election fraud. It is not true. Proof of election fraud is overwhelming. And as Dr. Frank said a moment ago, if you want that system, if you ever want to run, or someone else you know and you like, want you want them to run for office, you don't, you shouldn't even bother unless you clean up and fix up the election system. So that will make that point. And the last one I want to talk about should Trump run in 24. I want to make this point and really ask you to consider this. In law, the idea of the concept of fraud, actual fraud, when you defraud someone and it is discovered, it is proven, the remedy in law is that you must undo it. You must undo the fraud that occurred. Or as, as you've heard, of, there's a great um, line, great um, term by Sidney Powell, which what she said in an interview, and I'm going to tell Joe, I sent you a couple clips. I only want you to play the one that is a great Peggy Noonan line about fraud. I'm not Peggy Noonan, excuse me, but um, a great line by Sidney Powell about fraud. She's being interviewed after the election and before uh, the swearing in of Biden, but still her point is valid today, and it is. I'll just summarize it for you. Fraud vitiates everything. If you can quick play that, Joe. I'm sorry, what? Uh, oh, yeah, that created quite the controversy, too, apparently, when I said Trump should simply be reinstated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is based on a, the fundamental principle that fraud, fraud vitiates everything. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> she said we won't forget it either. But yeah, that, that's a principle some people apparently don't understand. But fraud does, in fact, vitiate everything. The election was a massive fraud. It was essentially a, a bloodless coup of the greatest power in the world. And it should not be allowed to stand because of the fraud. We can cut her off there. I want to make this point. 
we should not, as patriots, no matter how few people are saying it publicly, no matter how many public leaders are backing off from this, none of us should ever discard the idea that because the 2020 election was fraudulent, because Biden did not win, because Trump won overwhelmingly, we should not throw out the idea that somehow we should apply that well-known and you know, time-honored for centuries idea in law that fraud vitiates everything. Meaning that if you steal a diamond, if you go in a diamond store and you manage to stick one in your pocket and walk out or you, or you dupe someone out of their money, if a court proves that, and that is the answer, you did do this, you are guilty of fraud, the answer in law is you have to give the diamond back. This is a Trump, you have to give, you, you give back. So right now, here we sit in 2022, America is watching the Biden administration, a wrecking operation against the United States of America, a destruction of America agenda happening in front of our very faces, in front of our very eyes, the Biden administration tearing down religious freedom, tearing down freedom of speech, tearing down the right of peaceful assembly and the right of protest. They are, they've abandoned the southern border, flooding America with illegal aliens. They intend to make citizens as soon as possible. They have abandoned America's interests in, in foreign policy. We are watching a wrecking operation. And I like to think that we, the people in America, we, the sovereign, still have the fiber, the spine, the courage, the willingness to say, we're going to find a way to vitiate this fraud. I am not advocating violence, but I'm gonna tell you, as the January 6th commission, uh, committee moves, continues to go along, and now they're hinting about, they're really, really, really trying to get Merrick Garland to indict President Trump. I'm telling you, if they take it that far, if they dare, it's bad enough that this entire fraud of the January 6th committee trying to claim it was an insurrection on January uh, on um, January 6th, which it wasn't, if they take it that far, they really may get to the point that they can't handle the resistance of the American people. Just because America has no precedent, we have no federal law laid out. Oh, here's what you do in case a federal election is stolen. Here's what you do when the presidency is stolen. We don't have that in federal law. We don't have it in federal regulation. We don't have it in case precedent. We have no precedence for this in America. But just because the precedent does not exist, just because the law doesn't spell out what to do, we should not, as the American people, accept this fraud and simply tolerate the ongoing destruction of America at the hands of the unelected Biden administration. We should not. I don't know what will come with it, but come of it. But the more and more people like Douglas Frank and others share their message that the election, proof of election fraud is overwhelming, irrefutable, that it is, to, is undeniable, the American people need to get resolute in saying fraud has to vis that uh, fraud vitiates everything. We must find a way to fix the problem. I don't know what it'll be. It may be the Supreme Court finally getting enough cases in front of it that states are saying, hey, as it turns out, our election was stolen, it was fraud, and we have no idea what happened. The Supreme Court could fashion a remedy that says in the states where the fraud apparently occurred or the states are complaining and they're admitting the fraud, we have a new election. We should not, as the American people, capitulate to this Marxist takeover of America at the hands of the Biden administration just because we don't have a neatly laid out path to remedy this fraud. This is an extraordinarily consequential issue facing America. If you listen to my show very often, you know I love talking about all sorts of policies. Uh, taxes and border and military and, I mean, every issue that shapes America's future and our ability to hold on to America the free. But we are in a crisis in this country, a crisis here in June of 2022, because we have an unelected Marxist regime steamrolling over the American people, steamrolling over our rights. And the evidence is overwhelming that the election was stolen. You only, if you just watch 2,000 mules, you can understand it was stolen. But then you listen to the evidence Dr. Frank is presenting, that he's going around the country presenting. Now, the mainstream media will not report it. But if you know it, 
It's important to understand, at the very least, for patriots to say to ourselves, we cannot simply lie down and surrender, surrender our country to this Marxist takeover by a regime that didn't win the election simply because we don't yet know the legal path to undo it. We have to agree with ourselves. There can be a legal path to undo this election theft. We must say that. The American people did not vote for this man, Biden, and they did not vote for this agenda, this destroy America before our very eyes agenda. They did not vote for it. We need braver politicians in the House and the Senate, in, the, in Washington, and in state houses around this country saying it. Say what is true. The election was stolen, and we, the American people, have got to find a way to remedy it. We have to, because we are literally at the risk of losing our republic. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started the show, this show today talking about the Supreme Court, SCOTUS, religious freedom, and more. Uh, Supreme Court rulings for the past court session are coming out. Uh, Dobbs, which is going to be the apparent reversal of Roe versus Wade, not yet released. But in a 6-3 decision, the Supreme Court said that denial of school vouchers for religious schools by the state of Maine is unconstitutional. Secularists argue that vouchers allowed for religious schools violates the Establishment Clause. Again, the revered Establishment Clause, you know, puffed up to ignore the Freedom of, of uh, Free Exercise Clause. Supreme Court says denial of vouchers for religious schools violates the Free Exercise Clause. Underneath the legalese, this is a helpful turn in support of religious freedom. Too many exercises of religious faith were struck down as state action establishing religion. Establishment clause was meant to prohibit official state-mandated religion, such as in the UK in their Anglican church. It was not supposed to stop the multi-denominational free exercise of religion in America. Supreme Court seems headed in a pro-religion direction more consistent with the founders' intent. This is a positive development for America. And I'm conflating Trump derangement syndrome with election truth, Noonan, Coulter. I'm not urging to read their columns. They're, they're horrible, but you could. Peggy Noonan and Ann Coulter, pundit stars of the past, have become pathetic shells Stunning examples of intellect and talent distorted and perverted by Trump derangement syndrome. Evidence proof of massive 2020 election fraud exists, is overwhelming, and is growing. See Dr. Douglas Frank, Captain Seth Keschel, David Clements, Lady Draza. Read them on Telegram. That's where you get information. Passionate hatred of all things Trump has made these women unable to grasp facts and truth. Probative value of the election fraud evidence stands on its own, completely independent of the personalities of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Corrupted election systems are fatal to the America they claim to love and serve. Humility and intellectual honesty among American thought leaders is critical to American restoration. And should Trump run in 2024? The answer, and I didn't really answer that, he's going to. That is the answer. As long as he is physically, mentally able, he is going to. But... Strong pros and cons to a Trump run in 2024 fell even among patriots. But before getting to 2024, the looming, growing elephant in the room throughout America, what must be done about the stolen election of 2020? Common law principles, fraud vitiates everything. Vitiates meaning invalidates. Common sense principle, stolen diamonds must be returned. Incumbent politicians of both parties are trying to ignore the elephant in the room, but we the people are restless and increasingly impatient. Americans know the situation is unprecedented, but they're watching the destruction of their country as the direct result of a fraudulent election. They want the destruction to stop. And if it means overturning a fraudulent election, just do it. And that my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can